Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right. Well, good evening again. Uh, it's great to see you all back out tonight. It's been, man, the morning sessions have been full and the evening sessions have been full and that's great to see. It's been a, a we had another, we had another great day. I mean, if you were here this morning, wasn't it awesome again? Amen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. And so uh, I hope, I hope you feel that. It's, it's, I, I, I love, I love these conferences. I love seeing friends from out of town and, and getting a chance to hang and, and fellowship together. It's, it's one of the many reasons, at least in my mind, why, you know, what's so special about these conferences and the time we have together. Um, it's one of the many reasons why I love the Living Faith Fellowship. And as, as Joe mentioned this morning, it, it is a sweet thing that we have. And it's something worth fighting for. And the churches represented here are led by good men and they're filled with good people. And, and unfortunately, that's becoming more and more rare. So I'm appreciative of our bond in Christ, I really am. But if you have your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to turn back to Exodus chapter 18. This has been our base passage uh, for this entire week so far, and, and it'll, it'll continue to be. And have been looking at this theme of the disciple maker as counselor. We kicked things off Sunday night outlining the wisdom in that plan, how that's been part of God's design from the beginning of man, for there to be cooperation in the mission, for everyone to be involved. There's a place for every member as minister. And there are all types of people, and so there are people in my church who can reach folks that I can't reach. And that's an important role. And so as long as we're unified in doctrine and mission, we all have a role. It is a co-mission. And we do it with him, and we're to do it with others as part of the church. So it's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the, the select few leaders' job. It's all of our jobs. There's a couple reasons why God up that way. We talked about that. We talked about the difficulty of the load. How it's Listen, it's not, a, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not an easy game we've entered. And in fact, in the context of discipleship, it's likened to warfare in the Bible. We're likened to soldiers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we see that. It's on your outline sheet. I think it says 1 Timothy, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Thou therefore in Endure hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so, you know, no matter what Hollywood movies might tell you, there's, there's really no such thing as a one-man army. You know, there's, there's, there's no individual Christian Rambos, you know, and I don't know, that probably just aged me. On, on, like half of the kids in here are like, Rambos, that's a Rambo character. Uh, but the truth is we need each other, and, and there's someone that needs you. There's someone in this church that needs you. There's someone at your job that needs you. And then there's also the issue just of the duty of the leader and how the leaders to spend much time with the Lord in order to do that, he, need, he needs that time. And so that means he needs people that will walk with him and disciple others to help navigate the new life that they have in Christ. And and that's really what we looked at last night. We discussed the way, you know, this, um, uh, the holistic approach of how, of how we see the Bible, of how the Bible defines discipleship. And, and how so many things, just even in the testimony that you heard tonight, is, this is a beautiful example of, of just the byproduct of the discipleship relationship. And so, you know, you have a friendship that develops, and you have a mentorship, and you, you have a coach, and and you have a counselor, and all that is just a natural byproduct of the relationship when God brings two hearts together in this way as they open God's word and share life together and, and share ministry together. And it's, it's just a different type of relationship that's formed when it's done the way the Bible lays it out. And it's deeper. And it's much deeper than what you can do if you're just sitting across the table from someone, you know, going through a, going through a Bible study, going through a set of lessons. And this is the type of relationship where you really do have the authority to speak in, into someone's life and, 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 and get them to trust you uh, in what you have to say. And we're going to really dive into that more tomorrow night as we close this out. But, but this is how God set it up. 
So we've looked at the wisdom, we've looked at the way, and, and tonight we're going to look at the worker. Tonight is the time to, to turn the focus and, and look at ourselves and look internally. There's going to be a fair bit of overlap. You're going to see some overlap from, from last night, but, but tonight we're going, to, we're going to look internally, starting with myself. Because the truth is, everything we've talked about, everything we've talked about in the morning sessions, everything we've talked about in the evening sessions, all that we've talked about through this conference, it's not going to work if the disciple maker is not a person of faith. And when I say that, I don't just mean saved. I mean a person of living faith. One who lives on the outside, the faith that they have on the inside. And we know this to be true just based on the nature of the discipleship relationship because as we've heard, we reproduce what we are. Kenny mentioned that this morning. Paul describes this type of relationship and, 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 and how it works in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 as, as he's describing how he feels about the Thessalonians who, who honestly he didn't have a bunch of time with. He says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately, affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because you are dear unto us. Do you see, do you hear the type of love that Paul and Silas and Timothy had for that church? He said, we don't only share with you God's word. We shared our own souls. And they imparted their faith with those that, that they invested in. You know, Joe talked this morning about how thankful he was just to the, the, the men that had invested in him and that he was a, a byproduct of discipleship. And, and that's so true of many of us. You talk to the pastors in the room, so many of us are a product of that. I am that. I'm a product of this type of discipleship that we are talking about. If it wasn't for Alan Shelby and Sam Miles, I wouldn't be standing before you today. And those two guys didn't even take me through a set of 16 or 18 lessons. Somebody else did that. But those guys poured their souls into me. And I'm forever indebted. But this is the model of the Bible. And so we don't get to just make it up. We don't get to do it how we want it. We need to follow the biblical model, including understanding and abiding by the requirements for the worker or the disciple maker. Because the Bible has a lot to say about that. And we see that in our text in Exodus chapter 18. So you probably know the story by now. If you haven't been here the past couple of nights, you're going to have to catch up on your own. We don't have time to go back through. But Jethro is counseling Moses on getting help in the work and on judging and counseling the, the situations with the people of Israel. And, and, and what we're going to see tonight or the qualifications he was looking for. So let's pick it up. We're going we're gonna to jump right into it. We're going to pick it up in verse 19, um, and then we'll go through verse 21. Jethro, speaking to Moses, says, Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel. God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach ordinances and laws, and, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. And verse 21 is where we're going to spend our time tonight. It says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's word and see what he has for us tonight. Dear Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for what, what, what we've heard tonight already in testimony and in song. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that for what we have now, Lord, that you'll just be glorified. In it. Lord, I pray that, that you speak clearly uh, to us tonight. Tonight, um, we need to hear from you every time, but Lord, we need to hear from you tonight as we really turn the focus of the camera and, and turn it internally to look to where we're at with you and, and where we're at with your word and, and, and where we're at as far as the faithfulness we have to what this is and what you're calling us to. So Lord, I pray that everything that is said to your word, and I pray that you use it in our lives, and, and Lord, you just convict us and, and change us where we need to be convicted and where we need to be changed. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we read in, in verse 21, 
is really what I believe it takes to be a faithful disciple maker. And one that can build into the life of another believer in the way that we talked about last night. And what we learn from that verse is that God is not just looking for any type of man or woman. God is looking for able men and women. So you need to get this. God is looking for able men and women. You see, there is required ability that comes with the job of disciple maker. So the question we all need to ask ourselves, myself included, we all need to ask ourselves tonight, am I able? Now, I have good news. Right here from the beginning, we, I, got, I got great news for you. Because this ability has nothing to do with your physical skills. These are all skills that you are going to perform through the power of the Spirit of God. God has to give them to you. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. And God in all things, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. You see, as Joe told us this morning, you know what God wants? He wants to be glorified. God wants glory. And if we're able to do it in our flesh, God gets no glory from that. Only we do. We get glory from our flesh. No, this is what, these are abilities that God's give it, God gives us and that we, we live out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we do it in the flesh, it's not worth doing. Romans 8, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So this ability to be a faithful discipler, a disciple who is capable of counseling and walking the life of, with another, or holding the hand of another believer, it has nothing to do with your intellect, your looks, your hand-eye coordination, or your bank account, nothing like that. And listen, I pray yes, I praise the Lord for that. Because that means I can do it. Because I don't have any of those other things going for, for me, I promise you. And yet I'm still not disqualified. And this is how it's always been. And how it must be. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it's for selfish reasons, I'll just be honest with you. But one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Acts 4.13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. And listen, we've already talked about this this week, and, and we're, we'll talk more about it tonight. There are things that we need to learn, and we do need to study to show ourselves approved. We should absolutely be a workman in the Word. But listen to me. In that endeavor... You must be careful to not turn your Christian life or, or discipleship into merely an academic exercise. It has to go deeper than that, way deeper. Undoubtedly, the most important thing to bring to the table when it comes to being a disciple maker is the fact that you have been with Jesus and you have been changed by him. If you don't have that starting point, you don't have nothing to share. So unless you have a humble spirit that comes from walking in the Holy Spirit, you will be unable to give God glory with your life. And from a discipleship relationship, any ministry. So Paul makes this point throughout his ministry and throughout his, apostles, uh, his epistles. Second Corinthians 4, 7, he calls us earthen vessels. It's an old clay pot. But if you're saved, you have the treasure of the Holy Spirit in your pot. And if you're not too prideful, He can shine and get glory. Right? He says, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But that seems to be the problem more times than not, isn't it? Who, who, who is it that shines from us? Is it you or him? Is it me or him? Because if, if, if he is going to shine from my pot, then I have to be a little broken. And I have to be cracked. 
have to be willing to decrease as he increases. So listen, friend, there are a lot of folks out there who are saved and they have the treasure inside them, but the truth is no one can see it. And they might be super talented. They might even have all sorts of abilities. And they might even think that because of that, they ought to be used more. Listen, none of that matters. You know what matters? What matters is whether you've been broken and are humble to the point that God can get glory. Where God can shine. I promise you this. God needs your brokenness way more than he needs your talents and abilities. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. And yet, how many times do you hear Christians say, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, if so-and-so just got saved? Boy, couldn't they really be a spokesperson for Christ? And wouldn't it be awesome if this famous person or this sports star, wouldn't it be great if those people became Christians? What an impact they could have. And yet God keeps ignoring them and just picking up clay pots in order that the excellency of the power may be of him and not us. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31, but... God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised had God chosen. Yet the things which are not, not things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You see, this is where ability starts. If, if you don't have this as your starting point, you're starting from the wrong spot. It starts with humility, and it starts with a willingness for God to get glory from your life. But listen to me. Once that foundation is laid, then the requirements that we're going to look at out of Exodus 18.21, those will happen naturally. As you walk in the Spirit, and listen, you will be an able man, an able woman, just as a result of the filling of the Spirit of God. And so we need to look at these requirements that Jethro lays out here. And I'm sure there are other lists in the Bible along these lines that may you know, be outlined a little bit differently, and that's fine. And if they're in the Bible, they're good and they're right too. But I'm telling you, we got some good ones here tonight. And if you get these abilities down, you're set up to be a faithful disciple and faithful discipler. And it starts ends with having an appropriate fear. An appropriate fear. So look back at the beginning of Exodus 18.20. Moreover, moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men such as fear God. So he's looking for men that will fear God. That's where it starts. So obviously the appropriate fear is the fear of God. And Jethro puts this at the top of the list. And for me, I don't know about you, when you study the Bible, I don't know how you do that. But for me, that just begs the question, why? Why is this such an important quality for, to, to be considered an able man or an able woman? To be a faithful disciple maker. And I believe the answer is found in, in, in what the fear of God produces. And the Bible tells us, first of all, that the fear of God produces wisdom. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do with commandments. His praise endureth forever. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. And Job 28.28 28 said, And unto the man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil understanding. And when it comes to being an able man, to be an able woman, to be a faithful disciple who is able to walk that walk that we've been talking about, that we, all, that we laid out last night, able to counsel someone through the issues that they deal with in their life, wisdom is required. 
You cannot be biblically unwise and lead another person in a way that's ultimately going to glorify the Lord. And while that probably goes without saying, the Bible actually says a lot about it. I think it's something God wants us to pay attention to. So, so just for example, just to give you a, a couple of very brief examples, we see this to be true with Joseph. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all the people of Egypt to work with them and lead them. Do you know why he did that? Well, Genesis 41, uh, 39 tells us. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Because of that, colon, thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. It was his wisdom that even a worldly leader recognized that qualified him and gave him the ability to lead and to help people ultimately for God's glory. Now think about King Solomon. Solomon knew that part of his job when he became the king was to help counsel and judge the people of Israel and he did not feel qualified to do that, so what did he ask from the Lord? 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 through 12 says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may, dis that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And How did God respond to that request? Verse 10, And the speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, that there is none like, like, like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And then if you follow on in that chapter, you see that Solomon faces this issue, right, where two women are claiming to have the same son, and then he deals with that, and there's a report from Solomon after, after he, he counseled that situation. In, in 1 Kings 3.28, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, saw the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. And this is a, a completely side point, but this same King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, summed up life this way. Let us, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Listen, that is true wisdom right there. Those are wise decisions to make. Fear God and keep his commandments. But there's no doubt the godly wisdom is a requirement when leading and helping people to God's glory. And why are you doing it? Are you doing it for your own glory? Well, give your own wisdom. But if you're, if you're leading and you're helping and you're discipling someone to God's glory, then you need God's wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is where that starts. It was tr true of Joseph. It was true of also true of the first set of deacons. In Acts chapter 6, we looked at this Sunday night, a little bit when we talked about the duty of the leader, and we're going to continue to look at this because these are companion passages in the Bible. But that early church of Jerusalem, they were growing like crazy, and the apostles needed help with the people and in order to carry out the ministry and serve them and counsel them. And what were the requirements for the men that were to be chosen? Acts 6, he says, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over his business. And we're going to continue to come back to this passage. But you see here, they needed to be wise. So again and again in the Bible, when people are placed over others to help them and guide them, that godly wisdom is required. And that wisdom is produced by the fear of the Lord. So that's where we start. But then secondly... The fear of the Lord, the fear of God, it also produces holiness. And, and we see that throughout Scripture as well, and we don't have time to go through all of it, but I, I, I just, I just want to show you a few places. 
We see it when Moses describes the fear of the Lord to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20, just two chapters after Jethro's counsel. And I think that in Exodus chapter 20, it provides for us, in my maybe if you, I, I think maybe the best definition of the fear of the Lord in the Bible, at least a great definition of the fear of the Lord in the Bible. So God had just given Moses the Ten Commandments, and then we read in verse 18, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. I mean, listen, they're, they're afraid. They're scared. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. All right, now this is a very interesting passage, and we don't have time to dive into all of it, but, but, but here's what I want you to get. This tells us that fearing God shouldn't necessarily make you afraid, okay? There is reasons to be afraid, but that's not necessarily God's desire, because Moses said, fear not. When they said, listen, Moses, we, we, need to, we need to back away from this. Moses said to the people, fear not. But instead, this godly fear should drive you to holiness. Because he said, fear not, for here's what God's come to do. He's come to prove you that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. You see, God wants us to have an intimate understanding of who he really is. He wants that put right before our faces. And, and we have the ability to do that today when we put this before our face. And it gives us an intimate understanding of who he is. And when that happened to the children of Israel, they wanted to run away from it. Verse 18 says, they removed and stood afar off. But Moses said, no, don't run away from the Lord. What you need to do is run towards him. Because when you see God for who he really is, and when you see that book for what it really is, listen, the natural response and what it should do is it's going to shake you. It's going to shake you at your core. When you know God and you're, when you see him for who he is, like, oh my goodness, this this is who, who wants to have a relationship with me. And it should shake you. But listen, God's desire is that understanding drives you to him in awe and in worship. God doesn't ever want you to run away from him. He wants you to run right to him. He wants you to get clean before him. That ye sin not. See him who he is, for who he is so that you quit sinning. And you get your life right. And you get clean. Because that is the goal of the fear that God wants us to have of him. To produce holiness within us. Paul describes this for us. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, this is, I could take you to verses over and over. This is consistent in Scripture. Even in the verses we've already looked at, the fear of the Lord is connected to keeping his commandments and departing from evil. Proverbs 16:6 6 says, But mercy and truth, iniquity, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Keeps you holy. Proverbs 14:27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And oh my, what a sobering verse that is. And we see the contrast of a fountain and a snare. We see the contrast of life or death. And that is a sobering verse. And, and listen to me closely right now. Because this aspect of being able to have the right fear, an appropriate fear, it, it, it's, so, it's so importantly tied to this. Because the truth is, for all of us, we're going to fear something. And we're going to fear someone. And I know you think you're tough. 
but you cannot escape fear. You just need to know how to direct it correctly. Because the question is, do you fear the Lord or do you fear man? And this is critically important to get right because one fear is a fountain and one is a snare. And one leads to life and the other leads to death. All right, Proverbs 14, 27. What we just read says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of the death. But listen to what Proverbs 29, 25 says. Fear of man bringeth a snare. Whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And that snare is a snare of death, according to Proverbs 14, 27. So ultimately, this comes down to where you place your fear. Will it be man... And listen, man also includes yourself because Proverbs says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think too highly of yourself to the point that you're more in awe of yourself than you are of God. No, fear the Lord. You can't have it both ways. Listen, there's true wisdom and there is worldly wisdom. There's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. Just like there's godly sorrow that leads to holiness and worldly sorrow that leads to evil and death. And they're all based on fear. And I wish we had more time to, to lay it all out for you, but, but the Bible lays it out like that. Do you fear God? Because if you don't, then you aren't properly qualified to be a faithful disciple. But if you do, you can be wise and holy, and be that faithful disciple maker. And that leads to our next point, because the fear of the Lord produces wisdom, but it's because that fear drives you to the source of wisdom. And the second requirement is that you have an absolute foundation. So you must be grounded upon and in something, and that something is God's word. Look back at Exodus 18.21 to see this second requirement. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth. An able man is a man of truth. Man, don't you just love that phrase? And John 17, 17, of course, defines truth for us. His word is truth. So to be an able and faithful disciple, you discipler, you must be a person of the word. And this flows right from our last point because true wisdom only comes from Christ. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3 says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, all wisdom, all knowledge is found in the person of Christ. But we have access to it as we devote ourselves to receiving and living the mind of Christ. That's where his wisdom is contained, in his mind. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from Philippians chapter 2 that the mind of Christ is God's word. And that's wisdom. And we have to allow it to get in us. And change us. And then we have access, his mind, to get in us, to change us, to then help change others. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And when you compare this verse, Colossians 3.16, with the companion verse in Ephesians, you find that letting... The word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom is equated with walking in the spirit, right? I'm sure many of you are aware of this. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It's, the, it's, it's when we compare scripture with scripture, we allow the Bible to define itself. And Ephesians 5, verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody your heart to the Lord. So the Bible defines itself. Walking in the Spirit is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as it saturates your mind, it cleanses you, which leads to holiness. And your desire for evil departs, and your desire for holiness increases. 
So letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly is not just learning for head knowledge. This means to inhabit you abundantly. It's having an absolute foundation of who you are in Christ and what you believe about his word. It's a personal understanding of biblical authority. And your life reflects that fact. Your public life that we all know and your personal life that only you know. So your flesh doesn't have power over you. That's walking in the spirit. And, and listen, it's interesting, and, and we don't have time to get into all this, but walking in the Spirit is a walk forward as you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but at times it's also a walk backwards because there are some things the Bible says we're to walk away from and we're to depart evil. We're going to talk about that in our next point. So you spend time in God's Word and you let it dwell in you and consume you so that you walk in it and walk in Him, displaying the light in your life the fruit of the Spirit. Right, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and that, that list of, of nine elements that make up that fruit. It defines, that is what defines a man or woman of truth. It's not just knowledge. You've got to have Colossians 3, 16 and Ephesians 5. You can't separate the two. And this shouldn't surprise you, but the second requirement of an able man was also a requirement of deacons. In Acts chapter 6, because we need to find men full of the Holy Ghost is what the requirement was. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and with whom we, we may appoint over business. Those were men of truth. Those God's word, but not only know it, they live it too, because they walk in the Spirit. You see, there are a lot of folks out there who know a lot about the Bible, and they can quote a lot of Bible verses. And they even know a lot of doctrine. But they are not men of truth. Because they don't walk in the Spirit. They know the Bible, but they don't live the Bible. No, men of truth know God's Word and live God's Word. Not necessarily perfectly. None of us are perfect from a sinless, that in, in that we are sinless. But no, they live it sincerely and honestly and consistently. That's why the Apostle John called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth multiple times because you cannot separate them. So a man or a woman of truth uses God's Word in the way that it was intended for God's glory and for other people's benefit, not for their own selfish purposes. And listen, this was something that was so important to Paul because he was a man of truth. And it was his desire to walk in the Spirit and not be a castaway. And so he longed to always be true to God's Word. And again, being true to God's Word isn't just knowing it. It's knowing it and living it. And handling it appropriately. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This gives us even further clarity because you see a person of truth is careful not to handle the word of God deceitfully because that's what Satan does to God's word. It's what he did with Eve in the garden. He changed and questioned what God said. It's been his MO throughout church history, trying to pervert God's word, which he has done quite successfully. It's what false teachers do. In Psalm 56, David says this about himself, but that's a messianic psalm and it's prophecy. And Psalm 56, 5 says, every day, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are evil against me. Every day people rest and wrestle these words out of context. And it's because they're evil. And they don't love God and they don't love truth. Peter talked about this in his second epistle, speaking about Paul, actually, in 2 Peter 3.16, and also in all his epistles, speaking of the, in them of these things, and which are some things hard to be understood, which they which are unlearned and unable rest, as they do also other scriptures, under their own destruction. So what this means is that men of truth, women of truth, 
did not handle the word of God deceitfully and rest or wrestle scripture all for their own purposes, for their own glory. No. In order to lead a disciple faithfully and correctly with God's word, you have to believe it for, who, for what it is and whose it is. You don't wrestle it. You don't use it for your own glory. You need to be a lover of truth. Because if you love the truth of God's word, then you're going to be committed to proclaiming that truth. And if you love the truth and you live it out, and listen, God's going to take it from there. When you plant and you water, you can trust God to give the increase. But you've got to love his word. You've got to love truth. Do you love truth? This is so important to all areas of our life. Because honestly, and you may disagree with me on this, but I believe you can check the progress of a Christian by how much, by whether or not, or by how much they love truth. And listen, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but Christians who are content with human ideas or who can sit under preachers who preach human wisdom and provide naturalistic, therapeutic insights during a 25-minute pep talk, those Christians reveal in themselves a low commitment to what really matters. You see, in contrast to hidden dishonesty and craftiness, and handling the word of God deceitfully. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, that he operated in the manifestation of truth. In full transparency. That is an open and clear exposition of the truth by transparent loyalty to the specific revelation of God's word. Without tampering, without diluting. No, that person speaks and lives the truth. So that means, listen, a faithful discipler's world, friends, is a world of biblical truth. And I unapologetically claim to you that the men who stand behind the pulpits of the churches in the living faith and represent this book and those churches, that's our world. That's where we live, that is where we move, and we work hard at it. And we are not perfect. Lord knows we are not perfect. Not only are we not perfect, we're not even good sometimes. It, you, <laughs> If you only knew, it's a good thing that you know. But, but what we are, to the best of our ability, is true to this book. And we want to help you lay a foundation of faith in and obedience to the Word of God in your own life. And train you to be able to take that and do the same with someone else. And that doesn't threaten us. We want you. We plead with you to be a part. Help us in the mission. I want you to know more than I know. I want you to take it further than I could ever do it together. But if you don't love the book, it'll never happen. So desire truth the way we do. Long for truth. Hunger and thirst for it. Like 1 Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because listen, if we love the truth and you love the truth, then we can get somewhere as a fellowship. We can make a difference in this world if the Lord tarries. Your church, make a difference. We can make an impact for the cause of Christ as we live out his mission as people of truth. That is the missing element today in churches all across this country and all across this world. Church after church after church, they don't have men of truth up, up at this spot proclaiming God's truth. So let's be different. And let's be able. And to be able, we need an appropriate fear. We need an absolute foundation. And third, we also need an ability to forsake. Look at Exodus 18.21, and we'll try to cover this quickly. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth. And look at this last characteristic, hating covetousness. Okay, so the third characteristic of an able discipler is one that hates covetousness. That means... They have the ability to forsake the temporal things of this world in place of the eternal things of God. Because historically, this had a very practical application for those Moses was to choose. Because they were dealing with people issues and conflicts, so those folks needed to be honorable 
to the point where they wouldn't take a bribe. Moses talks about this in Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 and 19. He said, Judges and officers, shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest, there's that word again, thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift. For a gift that blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. So Jethro said, listen, they need to hate covetousness. They, they can't be tempted by filthy lucre. The, the, the able men, they can't be tempted by filthy lucre. And while we may not be dealing with bribery in our discipleship relationships, listen, we're all deal, always dealing with focus. Is our focus temporal or eternal? Because listen, Paul defines covetousness for us in the New Testament as well. And he defines it as idolatry. Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And listen, idolatry is just as prevalent today as it was in the Old Testament. Now, it looks a little different today. Today, it looks more like sports education and entertainment but there's no doubt that we have created idols that are contrary in every way to God and the things of God an idol is just anything that seeks your worship that seeks your life anything that tries to steal you away from the mission because ultimately the mission is it's a fight for your worship uh, Joe's told us that this morning it's about the exaltation of God the glory of God there's absolutely a spiritual fight for your life going on as we speak even if you're saved, will you focus on the eternal or do you get caught up in the temporal? Do you fear God or do you fear man? Are you a person of truth or just deceitful, trying to take what you can get from God? They're all tied together. So this point is tied to worldly desires. So let me ask you, are you bound by the cares of this world? Because if you are, according to Scripture, you are not able and listen, I know we all struggle with this issue at some level. I struggle with this issue. I'm not asking you if you struggle. I'm are you bound? Are you captive? And this gets to our priorities and what you value the most. Do you allow the cares of this world to take priority over time with the Lord and time in the mission? Jesus talked about this very thing in the parable of the sower. Sowing the seed of the word of God, Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. So these are they which were sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Does that describe your life? And just listen to the words used, cares, deceitfulness, lust, choke, unfruitful. It's a bad path. The world is calling all the time. Paul did this in his ministry. He had people that ministered with him like Demas. In the book of Colossians, Demas was a fellow laborer. And yet by the end of Paul's ministry, Demas was gone. And why? What happened? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And isn't that the problem with many Christians today? How many Christians do you know that were, were around for a while and were even excited about the things of God and the mission of God? But then the world caught their eye. And the world has a lot to offer. And the next thing you know, they're gone. What happened? Well, Paul told us what happened. He told us it would be this way in these last days. In 2 Timothy 3, 4, he said that People are going to be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So let me ask you, what is it that you love? Do you love truth? Do you cherish time spent apart with the Lord and in his word? Do you cherish time set apart to spend involved in the mission? Or do you love pleasure? Do you love temporal things more than eternal things? Because it can sneak up on you. The next thing you know, you're a Demas. We don't need any more Demases in the church. I promise you that. We need more Pauls. 
We need more people with a spiritual focus who are devoted to spending time with God and the mission and not allowing that time to be choked out by the cares of this world. Listen, there are so many people in the churches, in churches, Christians that are running around so busy today trying to get everything in, every activity, every sport, every promotion, every dollar. But do you have to have everything right now? Would it kill you to miss a thing or two? And allow yourself to focus in on what it is that really matters? And set your schedule accordingly? And lead your family accordingly? Could it be? that you're assuming jobs and tasks and activities that God never intended for you to be a part of? I don't know, man. This is an area that we need to be careful. There are a lot of distractions this world offers, and it is pulling person after person after person out of church. And they'll spiritualize it and make it sound like, yeah, they're out, you know, in the world trying to win the world. No, that's not true. They are lying. And if that's you, I love you enough to tell you that you are lying. Love his word. Love him. Love truth. Love the people. Love the mission. Love God enough to give your life to him. What else you want to do? What else is worth doing? Let's give it to him. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for putting requirements on us that honestly, while they are difficult, Lord, you're worth it. And Lord, I just pray that you are glorified in our life tonight. And Lord, you, your Holy Spirit does a work that only, that only he can do. And Lord, that the you will convict us of, of where we need to convict. And, and Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to repent and change, that Lord, they'd do it tonight. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.